Well, this past month we've been on a journey through a story that's taken us about 10 months of the story in Luke chapter 1. It all started with Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were unable to have kids. Elizabeth was barren. They were getting really old. Chances of having kids were slim to none. And an angel shows up to Zacharias while he's serving in his priestly duty. And the angel tells Zacharias, you're going to have a son, and it's going to be no ordinary son. Well, Zacharias did not believe the angel, and so the angel took Zacharias' ability to speak away, and Zacharias finishes his duties there at the temple. He heads home. He goes through little charades with Elizabeth. Next thing you know, she turns up pregnant, and uh, hope has appeared. Then the angel Gabriel shows up again to someone that's not suspecting this is going to happen, Mary, who's engaged to be married to Joseph, has his experience with the angel Gabriel. The angel Gabriel says to her, even though you're a virgin, you're going to have a baby. And this baby is going to be no ordinary child. That's a pretty big announcement. A lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainties, a lot of questions, and some difficulties. But Mary is unfazed by all the unknowns because she is ready to follow the Lord no matter what. Elizabeth is visited by Mary. So Mary heads straight to Elizabeth's house. And Elizabeth, because of the Holy Spirit, already knows about Mary and the baby she's carrying. And so Elizabeth tells Mary about it. And Mary realizes she doesn't have to convince Elizabeth of what God has done in her life. And all of a sudden, these two ladies that have had this incredible experience in what the Lord is unfolding get to rejoice and celebrate about what God is doing. These two ladies, all their lives, have been waiting for God to do what God has said He would do all along. In fact, they come from a nation of people that have been waiting all the nation's history for God to bring the Messiah. And they have just come out of 400 years of silence from God and God is breaking the silence. He's bringing these two women in on the plan in an intricate way that they could never have imagined. And now these two ladies are going to have babies that are going to display, particularly in Jesus, that God has fulfilled His promises that He's made long ago and He's carrying out because of His purposes. And joy was abounding. Then Mary goes home, and now it's time for Elizabeth to give birth to her baby boy. In Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57, we see this story begin to unfold. Elizabeth gives birth to John. Family and friends, relatives, and those around them are excited. They're neighbors. They're rejoicing. They're celebrating in the birth of this baby to this couple. They've been waiting for so long to have a baby. Celebration, joy, great moment of rejoicing. And then eight days after the birth comes time for the circumcision. Now, this is not something they just send the baby to the doctor and the doctor does it and the baby comes back. No, this is a big deal. Like people gather around, it's a big party. It's a big, big deal. This is, let's think about what would this be like later in life when you find out this is how you got your name? 
This would be like one of those moments you're bringing somebody home that you think you'd like to marry someday and your mom pulls out the family photo album, flipping through there and you see that one picture of you completely naked when you're a baby and you look at your mother like, why did you take this? Embarrassing. That's what it's like in this circumcision thing. You got dozens of people standing around watching you get circumcised and get your name. That's what's unfolding for John. That's not a fun situation. So that unfolds in front of everybody, and, 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 and they're looking, the, the leaders that are supposed to pronounce the name of the baby, look to Zacharias and Mary for the name of this baby. Well, Zacharias can't talk. And so Mary says, his name is John. So the leaders look at Mary like, are you kidding me? His name can't be John. That's not a family name. That's not a good name for a priest. And they don't believe her. And they actually, I, I think they're looking at her with this, this suspicious look and saying, are you taking advantage of the fact your husband cannot speak? I mean, she, he can't speak and she's speaking up and, and they don't believe that this is what they really want to do. So they turned to Zacharias and they began to make signs to him. That's what the scripture says. It's really kind of funny because it reminds me of what we often do when we talk to somebody that doesn't speak our language very well. We talk really loud as if they're deaf. You know, you ever done that before? You're like, they're not deaf. They can hear you. And, and so they start making all these signs to Zacharias. It's like, we don't have any evidence that he's really deaf. He just can't speak. And so he's like, I'm not going to play charades. Give me a tablet. And he writes down, his name is John. And they are astounded. And they haven't seen anything yet. Because not long after he writes down, his name is John. And they're just getting over their astonishment at that unfolding. Zacharias then speaks. They all know he hasn't been able to talk for over nine months. And here he is speaking again, rejoicing in the Lord. When that, when that happened, everybody around that situation was in fear. They, they were in awe that this was happening. They were amazed. This became an instant classic, a story you would tell again and again and again. And every time this story would be told, a question would hang in the air. What would happen with this kid? Have you ever been around a bunch of kids and one of them stands out and you think, what is this kid going to be when they grow up? I mean, that can be good, that can be bad. For John, it was wonderful. People saw this situation. They knew the hand of the Lord was on this boy. And they had the question what's he going to grow up to be like? Zacharias, in his praise to God, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophetically helps answer that very question what's going to happen with this boy? I want us to read what Zacharias says, starting in verse 67. It says, Luke chapter 1, verse 67 says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies 
and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias begins to praise the Lord. The first words he utters in nearly 10 months. You think about what had been on his mind over those months. I mean, he couldn't talk. He had a lot of time to think. I wonder if when he first lost his speech, if he spent a lot of time thinking about what he wished he would have said to Gabriel instead of what he did say. If I could only have my voice back and that moment back, I would say something that showed that I believed. You think he contemplated that for a while? Replayed that scene again and again? I wonder if he thought about saying, wanting to say, and, and, and thinking about saying to the people around him that would say things about Elizabeth and the fact that she couldn't get pregnant. If he wanted to go to them and tell them what God had done, and he couldn't say a word. Well, what about those people around them that were saying things about them getting pregnant being so old? Well, you know, they're really old. Hmm. Wonder how that happened. I mean, you know people were talking about it, and I wonder if Zachariah thought, I'd like to go and tell them what God has done. This wasn't just something that happened between a husband and wife. This is something that God did because he's unfolding a plan. And he couldn't say a word. In all those years of longing for a child, And your wife being pregnant. And you can't talk about the son you know you're going to have. You can't say a word about it. Think that's on his mind? When you talk about his son. And here he is. God gives his voice back. And you know what Zacharias does? He starts to praise the Lord about a son. But it's not his son. He starts praising God about Jesus, not John. You see, Zacharias gets it. He's proclaiming praise to the Lord prophetically about Jesus because he understands that the value of his own son's life depends completely on Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation. The value of his own son's life doesn't mean anything if Jesus isn't a savior. He he gets that the value of our lives completely rests on Jesus. And when he starts talking, he can't help but talk mostly about Jesus because he understands God is fulfilling his promises. Amazing. 
I hope this Christmas season that you really get that your life is valuable because of Jesus and his love for you. There are a couple of things about what Zacharias says that I want you to take home with you today. First of all, when Zacharias starts to praise the Lord, he says, Praise be to God who has visited us, who has accomplished redemption. Do you notice how he chooses to say that? God has accomplished redemption. Well, Jesus hadn't even been born yet. Jesus has not even been born yet, and Zacharias is saying, God has already accomplished redemption. You know what else Zacharias gets? He gets that when God makes a promise, it is as good as fulfilled. You can talk about God's promise that has not yet been fulfilled completely as if it's completely fulfilled because that's who God is. When God says it, you can bank on it. When it comes out of his mouth, you can depend upon it. And Zacharias gives us a great picture of what it means to trust in God. Trust in God simply means believing. Everything that God said is true and trustworthy. And when he makes a promise, it is as good as fulfilled. Now something else Zacharias does in these couple of verses, he just kind of gives us a capsule of the story of God's promises being fulfilled. He virtually summarizes the entire Old Testament for us. Do you, do you know what the Old Testament really is? Jesus gives us a great insight into what the Old Testament really is after he is risen from the dead. And he meets up with a couple of his followers on a road between Jerusalem and Emmaus. He meets up on a road with a couple of these guys who are walking along, who are total anguish. They're moaning and groaning about Jesus' death, so much so that either they cannot recognize that it's really Jesus walking with them, or the Spirit has prevented them knowing so that what Jesus is going to teach them about his word registers deep within their hearts. Here they are walking along and Jesus is walking along with them and begins to have this this communication, this conversation with them and he says to them, I'm going to take and I'm going to show you from Genesis all the way through the prophets that all that's been written is really about me. He unfolds the Old Testament so that we understand that the Old Testament is God's story about his son coming and dying on the cross and rising again from the dead so that he might offer redemption to everyone who trusts in Jesus. That's the story of the Old Testament. That's what the Old Testament is. It's a story about Jesus. The beginning of creation, when the fall of man occurs, God begins to unfold his story. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, Eve is told, That her seed would crush the head of the serpent. God begins to tell the story of his redeeming love. Then God chooses a man from all the people on the face of the earth to become his people. To become a nation of people through which he would bring a light to the world. In Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, God tells Abram that in you and in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6, God tells his people that he is going to make them a light to the nations. 
God's telling his story through the whole Old Testament. And then the Bible starts to talk about a baby who would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Who would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Who would be called Wonderful Counselor. Eternal Father. Mighty God. And Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the Bible talks about this child growing up to be a man, the Son of God, who would bear our iniquities. Who would be pierced for our transgressions. Whom the Lord would be pleased to crush as a guilt offering for us. Isaiah chapter 53. And then we see a story about Jonah who is in the belly of a fish for three days. That story is not just about Jonah and Nineveh. That story is about Jesus who is crushed by the will of the Father who is in a grave for three days but doesn't stay in that grave but comes out overcoming sin and death, being crowned King of all, Savior of the world, King of kings, sitting on the throne of David forever. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. This is a story about a covenant. The basis of a relationship between God and His creation, redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is a story about an oath made to Abraham that God would keep so that everyone could experience the blessing of righteousness by faith in Christ. This is a story about God bringing salvation and redemption so that His people might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness all their days. This is a story about a light coming into the world, shining in the darkness so that we might see and have eternal life. God made the promises, and God fulfilled the promises. But I want you to know this morning why he did that. He made the promises and fulfilled the promises because of salvation, because of his great mercy, because of his plan to redeem. And all of that was unfolding because God loved us. His merciful love is the reason He made the promises. The reason He fulfilled the promises. Because He loves you. But there's more. When my kids were little, like five, three, and and Caden was like a little nine-month-old crawler, you know, when they were real little, I, I made promises when my kids were little. I promised that I would be home with the kids, would hang out with the kids and play with the kids and be there with the kids and put the kids to bed and get them in the the bathtub and do all that kind of stuff and and make sure the kids were okay so Lindley could go out to the mall and 
and have some time to herself. And so Lily could go get a pedicure or whatever and enjoy some really refreshing time. So Lily could just go out and spend time doing whatever she needed to do. I made those promises when the kids were little. And I kept those promises. I, I'd be home night after night with the kids and hanging out there so Lily could go do her thing. But the strangest thing occurred over the years. She never did go to the mall She never did go get a pedicure. She never did go out and do stuff on her own to kind of get a break from being a stay-at-home mom. She never did those things. And and here I am years later, and it dawned on me, I probably should have told her about those promises. (laughs) Now, if that were true, and nobody can talk to Lindley after the service, but if that were true, um, you could rightly call me a jerk. Because anybody who makes promises and keeps promises but does not convey a kept promise to one who would benefit from that promise, that's not very loving. But God made the promise. He kept the promise. And he has declared the promise. And the last couple verses of what Zacharias is talking about here is about John. He says, you child, he begins to tell us about John. You know, you know who John is? He, he's the one who, who begins the final chapter of the unending story of God's redemption. The, the, the end of the story that leads us to eternity. John is the one who begins that chapter because he is the one who is declaring to the world that the Messiah has come. He's the one that looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is the one who sets the pattern of declaring to the world that the promises have been fulfilled. And he's declaring them because love redeems. That's who God is. That's what God does. And John is commissioned to tell about it. John set the pattern. The disciples picked up that pattern under the command of Jesus. And today, we believe in Jesus because God planned for a declaration of his love. That makes us a part of this story. You're a part of the story. God has declared his love. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about his promises. You've seen them fulfilled. Someone's told you about it. And you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, which means you're a part of the story. You you have been given the privilege of writing this part of God's story. When you placed your faith in Jesus, you wrote your name in the book of life. You're a part of the story. But our story has no end. It just leads us into eternity. And there is a promise that has not yet been fulfilled. Jesus Christ says he's coming again. And if he promised to come again, it's as good as fulfilled. And now we, who are part of the story, can live today like he's coming today. Because he promised he would come. We we get to live today without fear of tomorrow in holiness and righteousness. 
Because Jesus Christ promised to redeem us because of his love.